let's get going on a Tuesday edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Hail, hail, the gang's all here. We've got Susan Littlefield in with us here, along with Jason Jorgensen on sports, and Bob Brogan has business headlines here on the roundtable. And Susan just got something cool in the mail. I got my Blue Star Mom pin. All right. So I'm pretty excited about that. Absolutely. How fun is that? Yeah, I had to show Brian right away this morning when he came downstairs, and he just grinned from ear to ear. So All right. that's for, a good thing. For those who don't know, tell us about the Blue Star. Blue Star, it's um, kind of a description. It's an organization of, of moms that have children that are serving and, and spouses who have folks uh, serving loved ones in the military. Yes, and so yours is. My oldest will leave for basic training at fort benning georgia on may 21st all right yeah Very pretty good. excited thank him for his service i will we appreciate I will. It. what do you have for us uh, from the ag team today it is that time of year we start talking more about crop insurance so Corey walters is going to join shaley peters at twelve nineteen to discuss the issues the things ins and outs you need to know about this year's crop insurance at twelve forty five. uh Clay actually catches up with Farm Families Tax Law. That's LB199A. More further discussion coming on that. And then at 117, Bryce catches up with Farmers for Free Trade. A lot of issues, a lot of concerns, a lot of nervousness when we're talking the tariffs on aluminum and on steel and what that's going to mean to to rural America. Well, there's a lot of people who are projecting a lot of ripple effect out of that. And the ripple effect for many may be pink slips. So Mm. let's hope it doesn't happen. It's sports time now. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Husker women are headed to the NCAA tournament. They learned late in the show last night. They they didn't learn until about the last five minutes of the selection show yeah. that actually they had made it. They they thought they would get in, but they get in as a number ten seed as they'll square off Saturday afternoon in Austin, Texas against Arizona State. Coming up, we'll get the thoughts of head coach Amy Williams about that. As you might expect, it was. A Pretty exciting time for the Lady Huskers. You know, it absolutely is. I didn't realize that they've been that. This is their 14th Yeah, bit, right? that surprised wow. me, too. It's like, well, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, they start to add up after a while. So we'll touch on that. Also, we'll talk some other NCAA tournament news. Plenty of NFL news to talk about as free agency gets rolling tomorrow. Sounds like the Broncos are going to sign Case Keenum. Is their starting quarterback as he will leave the Vikings to become a Bronco. Drew Brees has signed a two-year deal to finish up his career with the Saints. Mm-hmm. He's 39 now. They are going to pay him handsomely. <laughs> Those final yeah. two years, he he won't be working for the minimum wage. For what's left of his knees. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, good for him wanting to uh, end up as a Saint. And also, kind of a cool but... A decent day for baseball for the Nebraska baseball squad as they'll start a brief two-game series with Northern Colorado. It seems like every March they play Northern Colorado, and this year is no exception. Game one at Haymarket Park starts in about two hours. Very good. All right. And, Susan, just briefly, your brackets are all ready? My brackets are ready. Some of them are blind picks, but we'll see how it turns out in the end. (laughs) Any comment over here Hey, that's as good of a strategy as that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Bob Brogan on business. Stocks are a little bit higher at midday. Also, uh, inflation concerns are easing. Uh, President Trump is considering uh, Larry Kudlow as a potential successor to outgoing economic advisor Gary Cohn. And, of course, uh, Rex Tillerson out as Secretary of State. And that from a tweet from Donald Trump. So those are the stories we're watching. And the rolling door rolls on. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Let's bring in Paul Perkins with Ag Weather, brought to you by Coleman Repair. And uh, you can send your thank you cards <laughs> to Paul Perkins in care of the radio station. For we hope. <laughs> a possibility of some precipitation. In the liquid form. A lot easier to scoop liquid form. <laughs> not scoopable. Exactly. Yeah, we hope but not. We can, we can use every little bit we can get. And you've finally got some for us. Where'd you find it? Well, it looks like late in the week, Thursday night, and then again on Sunday night is our best chance of some moisture. Right now, we continue to enjoy seasonable temperatures and very light winds. As some high, trep- high pressure drops south over the Missouri Valley, most of our temperatures right now in the mid to upper 30s. We do have some low 40s, though, from Ogallala down into the northwest corner of Kansas and points towards the west into northeast Colorado and even the Nebraska Panhandle southern portion, anyhow. Tomorrow it's going to be even warmer as the warm front lifts north across the region. Thursday looks to be slightly cooler. A cold front will start to drop south and also slightly increase our cloud cover. Active weather starting up for Thursday night as some areas of low pressure starts to track east off the front range. Most of the precipitation expected to fall as rain for Thursday night and Friday. Now there is a brief period on Friday morning when we may see a wintry mix to the north of Highway 2. Otherwise, a brief dry period is on the way for Saturday and early Sunday with some mild temperatures. Then another round of moisture likely for late Sunday into Monday. That precipitation expected to start out across the sand hills Sunday morning, maybe as some snow or a mix of snow and rain. That precipitation tracking to the southeast, slowly switching back over to more rain. Then as the temperatures drop for Sunday night, that rain will slowly switch back to some snow. Looks like if we do see some heavy snow, that's going to be in northern Nebraska, where we could see upwards of 5 inches. Lesser amounts farther south you go, with only about a half an inch expected right along I-80. A better idea will be known when the system gets closer. But luckily, the temperature's not dropping a whole lot over the weekend, so a lot of that moisture should fall in the form of some liquid. In the long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and the northern third of Kansas should be slightly cooler than normal Sunday through March 26th. The temperatures in the southern two-thirds of Kansas look to be more seasonal, slightly above normal precipitation expected for Nebraska and the northern third and eastern third of Kansas Sunday through the 26th. The southwestern area of Kansas, where they need a lot of moisture right now, looks to miss out on a lot of moisture. It looks like the southern uh, two-thirds of Kansas expected to be near normal to slightly below normal precipitation. That outlook, though, for far southwest Kansas, not looking as dry today as it did yesterday. Our weather factors in the markets include scattered rain chances for Argentina and more favorable weather for Brazil. Today, a blizzard warning remains in effect for much of coastal New England, where they are just, of course, getting one after another for nor'easters, wind-driven snow with halting transportation right now, and that could result once again in widespread power outages. The first in a series of storms moving on shore along the Pacific coast later today. That will be followed by a second late in the week, and those systems, of course, look to impact our weather. Dry weather will persist on the southern high plains, while late-week precipitation expected to develop from parts of the northern and central plains into the southeast U.S. The central and southwest wheat areas likely to be left out of any significant rain chances this next week. Some precipitation possible, though, towards Nebraska and eastern Kansas. More than half of the winter wheat right now very poor to poor in Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. A reduced soybean harvest in Argentina is showing up in the markets due to a mainly dry forecast. That next rain chance not expected until the end of the week. Brazil, though, in good shape with no concerns for maturing and harvesting of soybeans and first crop corn. 
Rio Grande Sul could actually see some heavy rain the next five days. All right. Coolman Repair bringing you our ag weather for this time around. And uh, when we say that uh, Paul will make sure that those get forward, <laughs> we're talking about he'll, he'll make sure that his mother, Mother Nature, <laughs> gets those thank you cards for the precipitation. You this betcha, week. yeah. Give credit where it's due. Okay, very good. <laughs> and don't blame me if it doesn't show up. No. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we, uh, we didn't want to saddle you with that there, Paul. <laughs> All right, and when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Tractor sales continue to fall in the first part of 2018. Local butchers find a niche market for locally raised beef. And Canadian pork producers may have just gained a leg up on the global markets with the recently revised Trans-Pacific Partnership. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Even as grain prices see green in 2018, farm income is still a ways from the black. The latest from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers is showing that retail sales of high-horsepower two-wheel-drive farm tractors in the U.S. and Canada fell 16% last month from a year earlier. Sales of four-wheel-drive tractors and harvesting combines were up 12% and 24% respectively from the small prior-year sales volumes. Shares of farm equipment manufacturers, including John Deere, CNH Industrial, and Agco have continued to lose value due to the declining sales overall. In today's ever-connected world, people are wanting to learn more where their food comes from. This has been seen as an opportunity both for producers as well as butchers. For the last seven years, Porter Road has carved out a profitable niche selling small batch meat to discerning shoppers in Nashville, Tennessee. Now they're wanting to expand their operation and start selling their prime cuts of beef, pork, and lamb to the rest of the country. Now the butcher shop Porter Road has opened an online store this past month. By opening the online store, Porter Road is joining an expanding list of upstart companies that are tapping into a growing demand for meat that's raised on family farms across the U.S. This is as Americans are opening their minds and wallets to buying fresh food online. Delivering meat to people's homes is not a new idea and was actually started in Nebraska. Omaha Steaks, founded in 1953, started a mail-order business shipping meat in wax-lined boxes filled with dry ice direct to people's homes. The closely held family-run company also now has an online store, but it emphasizes quality, price, and free shipping, not necessarily the provenance of its meat and quality. Upstarts like Porter Road, Greensbury Market, Butcher Box, and Crowd Cow are all about where their food comes from, how it's raised, and where it's processed. Their philosophy echoes Whole Foods, who's now creeping into the mainstream grocery scene. It started in the produce aisle with organic fruits and vegetables and has now spread to meat and fish. Consumers are particularly interested in grass-fed beef, whose annual sales have grown over 2,000% in the past five years to 2017's almost $360 million in grass-fed beef sales. To give you an idea of what Porter Road sells, their average starter box costs roughly $100 and contains dry-aged steaks, pork chops, ground beef, bacon, country sausage, and chorizo. Porter Road says it generates about an average margin of roughly 40% on each box sold, and this includes the cost of the animal, packaging, labor, and shipping. Porter Road says that it also is giving more back to the producers because there are no middlemen they're buying straight from the producer. The concept is catching the eye of investors as Porter Road raised $1.5 million in July from venture capital investors wanting to expand the business. Finally today we end with Canadian pork producers welcoming the signing of the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. 
Even without the participation of the U.S., the new TPP will span a market of nearly half a billion people, making it one of the globe's three largest trade agreements. Canadian Pork Producer Council Chair Rick Bergman says the deal will provide the industry with stability in vital markets like Japan and opportunities in emerging markets like Vietnam. The U.S., although not in the new TPP, is still exploring bilateral trade options, and President Trump has said he's willing to look at TPP again if the terms become much better. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row and keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. To consider when looking at new crop insurance prices and volatility factors. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and I visit today here with Corey Walters. He's an extension grain economist with Nebraska Extension. And Corey, this is something you presented on recently to producers, and there was a recent deadline with the Risk Management Agency. Uh, as they completed their 2018 price discovery periods for corn and soybeans. So as we look at this, Corey, what are some of the key points that you covered here? Yes, we had our our annual uh, uh, projected prices for uh, spring-planted crops here in Nebraska, primarily corn and soybeans we talk about. Corn price came in pretty much the same as last year, uh, except with a, a lower volatility. So that essentially means a lower range of where prices may end up uh, come come fall. Um, and the same same with soybeans. You mentioned the similarities uh, to 2017 with this year's numbers. That volatility was a little bit lower. Is that a good thing? Yeah. So the the, the direct side of that one is uh, you, your premiums will be down just a, a little bit if you're buying a, a revenue based policy. Uh, the flip side to that is uh, there's there's a lower chance of higher prices come this fall. And Corey, you've also got that written out and some great graphics attached along with that. People can check that out at cropwatch.unl.edu. But going to maybe what of some of what we're seeing here with the graphics, and that really kind of lays that information out when it comes to looking at the different coverage options. Yeah, so that's that's the, the connection, the education part of so what's really going on. Um, so let's, let's go into corn. So we, we went in as a uh, 396 projected price. Um, while everyone gets that price, um, that is not going to be the, the final price protection for individual producers if they have a different coverage level. So if we're thinking then on the side of, you know, hey, I'm worried about prices going down, uh, somebody who has a 70% coverage level is going to have a completely different price floor than someone who, say, bought a 80% coverage level. And so if you had to give a recommendation for producers, obviously each operation is different, each situation is different, and nobody can predict the weather. But if you had to give maybe some good baseline recommendations for producers, what would that be, Corey? Yeah, so the, the first recommendation is to completely understand what you're buying and, and how it, it's going to work. We still have a couple days until uh, the final uh, contract closing date. So we can we can start with coverage level. That's a, a pretty popular one. If you're uh, worried about a, a bad event or you place a high probability on it, then buy up on coverage level. If depending on your direction of where you think that event's going to come from, then that determines your uh, insurance type. Uh, that's essentially that revenue protection. If you're worried about uh, you know drought and prices going higher or uh, you know prices going lo- lower with uh, average yields. And 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 probably the biggest one that we've come across a lot is. You hear a lot of producers say that their their premiums are too high. More times than not, that's essentially a statement that they that producers don't quite understand the risks that they actually face 
recall that these premiums are subsidized. And so I'm, I'm assuming they're talking about the subsidized premiums. Cause, and uh, so you're, you're already off of what you should be charged. And so then, then uh, anything past that is there's risks out there that you, we're just forgetting about. And, and that's how the RMA rates these things on risks that happened you know, 20, 30 years ago. All right. Thanks, Corey. Corey Walters, Extension Grain Economist with Nebraska Extension, talking about things to consider when looking at the new crop insurance prices and those volatility factors. For more on this, you can visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, after just winning seven games a year ago, the Nebraska women's basketball team is headed to the NCAA tournament. The Huskers received word last night that they're the number 10 seed and will take on seven-seeded Arizona State on Saturday afternoon. Head coach Amy Williams has no problems with the Huskers' seed. Well, I think that's fair at this point in time. You know, we're just uh, just really excited for the opportunity that's in front of us, and we feel like from that 10 seed that, um, you know, we're just going to go and, and keep getting better and find a way to give it our very best and, and um, see, see where it ends up. Williams made her comments last night on the Huskers Sports Network. This is the 14th time in school history that the Huskers have made the big dance. Saturday's game is set to start at 2.30 Central Time in Austin, Texas. It's an all-G-Pack Women's National Championship basketball game tonight in Sioux City. Tyler Cavalli has his preview. The Concordia Bulldog women's basketball team is one win away from their first-ever national championship victory. Making only their second-ever appearance in the national title game, the Bulldogs will see a familiar foe in seventh-ranked Dakota Wesleyan University, a team they beat three times during the regular season. Concordia was able to survive 11th-ranked Northwestern Monday night behind Philly Lambert's 23 points, 9 rebounds, and Quinn Rogge's 17 points and 7 rebounds. Meanwhile, Dakota Wesleyan University knocked off last year's national runner-up in St. Xavier, 81-66, thanks to a 25-12 quarter in favor of Dakota Wesleyan. Now, the last time the Bulldogs and Tigers danced was late February in the GPAC Tournament Championship game, where Concordia snuck away with a two-point win. Tip from the Tyson Event Center tonight in Sioux City, Iowa, is set for 7.05 p.m. We'll have the national championship game on 104.9 Max Country and online at 104.9 MaxCountry.com. Reporting from Iowa, I'm Tyler Cavalli. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, Drew Brees has agreed to a two-year, $50 million extension with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, $27 million of that is guaranteed in the first year. Brees, who turned 39 in January, had expressed a desire to finish up his career as a Saint. He's been with the organization since 2006. After setting out the playoffs in each of the last two years following their Super Bowl triumph, the Broncos have apparently found their next quarterback. ESPN reports that Case Keenum plans to sign with Denver when free agency opens up tomorrow. The 30-year-old Keenum is considered the second-best QB available on the open market. He got in Minnesota to the NFC Championship game. And the Nebraska baseball team is in action the next couple of afternoons. They'll start a two-game series with Northern Colorado. First pitch is scheduled in just a little more than an hour away at Haymarket Park. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dave Schroeder, clear skies, lows tonight in the 20s. I'm Dave Schroeder. State Senator Lynn Walls of Fremont has a bill before the legislature that would put a social worker in each of the state's 17 education service units to help those with behavioral or mental health problems. 
Several senators voiced concerns, including Senator Mike Groney of North Platte. There's no such thing as behavior or discipline in our schools no more. It's mental health. The education bureaucracy is after one mission on top of their goal. It's mental health. I have a concern on that, at the fact that education dollars are for education. The folks we hire in our schools are not mental health experts. Not even close. That's not the mission of a public school. We have HHS. But Senator Matt Williams says the bill is a step in the right direction. Just last week in the Gothenburg Public School, a young 17-year-old was removed for making terroristic threats and has such been charged with those events. A kid that could have been helped and his parents could have been helped had we had this legislation in place. No vote was taken is expected to come back up for debate later this week. A former Omaha elementary teacher accused of selling methamphetamine has been sentenced to five years of probation. 38-year-old Jesse Stoll was sentenced in Douglas County Court. He'd been a physical education teacher at Highland Elementary School. Governor Pete Ricketts has received four finalists to fill a vacancy on the Nebraska Supreme Court. The candidates are Christine Constantakos, Jonathan Papik, and John Swoboda, all of Omaha, and Kathy Trant-Villam of La Vista. The 4th District consists of portions of Douglas and Sarpy counties. The vacancy is due to the resignation of former Nebraska Supreme Court Judge Max Kelch. Kelch resigned after less than two years on the high court. Senator Ernie Chambers of Omaha is seeking to have Kelch disbarred after Kelch was named in a judicial ethics complaint, which has remained confidential. A $1.5 billion settlement has been reached in a class action lawsuit covering terms of thousands of farmers, grain handling facilities, and ethanol plants that sued Swiss agribusiness giant Syngenta over its introduction of a genetically engineered corn seed. The plaintiff said Syngenta's decision to introduce its modified Viptera and Duracade corn seed strains to the U.S. market for the 2011 growing season before having approval for import by China in 2014 caused price drops for several years. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Tax Law 199A, a small provision in the new and large tax overhaul performed by the Trump administration that has many in agriculture scratching their heads. At Ahead and More on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. We're talking with Randy Hutchinson today, and Randy is with Advocates for Farm Families, and they have deeply looked into the 199A situation. Randy, we thank you for joining us, and just kind of explain and give us some background in the history of the tax code 199 and 199A. Hi, Clay. First, I'd like to thank you for having us on and, and uh, making sure that the family farmer's voice is, is heard. The first thing I'll do is give you a bit of a history of the Advocates for Farm Family. This is really a group of farmers that has collective voices uh, and trying to get the same message out. So I farm, as you mentioned, here and, and um, here in Kansas as well as I do some custom harvesting in central Kansas and uh, eastern Colorado. And, and the one thing that's consistent that we hear from, you know, our, our, our farm friends and family is that the basis is just absolutely killing them. So we, we've seen a basis done like we've ever seen before. And, um, and from that standpoint, we started meeting with um, our local co-op boards and, and others 
trying to find ways in which we can drive that basis down to, to help with our profitability. Because what we're seeing is even though we've had some record yields the last two years, our incomes have actually, um, have actually decreased. So we're trying to have a positive change there. And then 199A came about, as you mentioned, in the new Trump tax reform plan. And that gave us the ability to deduct 20% of our sales if we sell through a cooperative. Now, 199A actually replaced 199. And through 199, the farmer had the opportunity to deduct the lesser than 9% of adjusted gross income or 50% of the W-2 wages paid. And then in the, from a cooperative, cooperative perspective, you know, again, this is for ag products, you know, they were able to deduct essentially the same thing, 9% of adjusted gross income or 50% of the W-2 wages paid. The key thing there is that cooperative did have the ability to pass that on um, to, the, to the members. So understanding the, you know, the two things, Advocates for Farm Families, you know, we see two key things that we wanted to accomplish. Number one, we're looking for that tax stimulus package. So we saw that, that the large businesses got their taxes reduced down to the 21% threshold, which brought them immediate, basically, tax savings. And we wanted that as well. That 20% deduction that the farmers could take at the co-ops would, was, is a huge benefit to us. In addition to that, when you look at it from the perspective of what we're trying to achieve with this high basis, we see that as a golden opportunity for the farmers, once again, to sell their grain through a cooperative, of which we can then pull our selling and our purchasing power to where we could take that large number of bushels out to market and, and have a greater influence uh, on the price we get for that commodity. Randy, in your Advocate for Farm Families presentation, you show that if 199A were to be revised, that tax advantage currently available to producers at 20%, that would more than likely go away from them and be dispersed more among the grain companies themselves. Uh, Kind of expand and explain what could happen if 199A is revised. They've been having Senate Ag Committee meetings um, for a few weeks now. The people that are sitting on that committee that I've had a chance to talk to, you know, said there's really not a strong voice for the family farm. So the two main players at the table are the cooperatives and the independent grain companies. And, and so that's one of the reasons why we started being concerned. And then as of late last week, it was reported to us that they believe they now had two thirds of the Senate uh, vote support to actually change 199A. So those are two alarming pieces of development that that triggered us to say we have got to get out, um, get the word out to the farmers to start reaching out to their centers. Because you're exactly right, and and what we hear is the um, there's a couple different proposals on the table which they're considering to change it to, none of which include the farmer keeping that 20% tax deduction. In fact, what we hear is they would like to take that 20% tax deduction away and then try to reallocate some additional tax savings to to the uh, multinational grain companies to make a more even playing field, as they call it, with the cooperatives. Just to help people understand, just in uh, February, the ADM CFO came out and stated that ADM will realize $379 million of tax savings in the fourth quarter of 2017 alone. Now, if you extrapolate that out to to four quarters, not saying that they would actually get that in all four corners, but let's say they would, 
that would be $1.5 billion of tax savings. So when you start talking about FAIR, we just want to make sure that 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 199A was put in there to stimulate the farm economy and the economy of our co-ops and our local communities. We want to keep that there because we all feel that's very important for us. That again, Randy Hutchins, one of the leaders with Advocates for Farm Families, talking about 199A and Advocates for Farm Families urging producers to contact their elected representatives and urge them to keep the 199A tax legislation as it stands. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, we get a review of today's livestock futures trade from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, and the cattle market a little choppy uh, back and forth. We're going to finish mixed. Uh, we were uh, started out uh, uh, trying to rally, uh, but uh, then uh, failed once again, came down, made some uh, lows, and then started firing back. Cutouts at noon were a little bit better, and then uh, started to hear of uh, some trade uh, uh, in 126 in Nebraska. Also uh, seen a 127, but it was on uh, just a few head. So uh, at least we started uh, trading on a Tuesday. Once again, uh, uh, aiding in the uh, thought that uh, Packers still need to buy cattle, and the markets uh, pretty much made it, tried to make a comeback, finishing mixed, just slightly lower in the cattle. Feeders uh, didn't respond quite as well, finishing uh, lower. Uh, right straight across the board, uh, mainly due to uh, the better grain prices, I think. And uh, over in the hogs, uh, hogs, surprisingly, uh, showing some rally, uh, despite the fact that cash seemed to be uh, a little bit on the weak side. Cutouts were higher last night and again at noon, so I think that uh, started to help. So we've gone from a discount uh, in the uh, futures to a premium. Uh, to the uh, index, so uh, a nice, strong turnaround in the uh, hogs. I think they were a little oversold anyway. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities. Call him at 800-328-0134. And as we mentioned, most cattle futures lower, hogs higher. This is the Rural Radio Network. Profit organization dedicated to rebuilding the American consensus on trade. And by that, we mean we want every farmer, every ag business, every rancher in the country to understand how important trade is and then to speak out in support of trade. Uh, So Farmers for Free Trade is supported by a wide array of ag organizations, including the American Farm Bureau, the National Pork Producers Council, wheat growers, corn growers. Uh, American Soybean Association has lent us their logo for different events. So it's, it's a broad coalition all pushing in the same direction. And, of course, it is a, uh, a busy topic that's changing daily, that is trade. We've uh, recently seen tariffs and, uh, and NAFTA negotiations as well as TPP talk is, is happening daily in the news. Let's, let's talk about what concerns you most when it comes to trade in this administration. Well, I, I think there are some within the administration who are very protectionist and don't understand the important role that trade plays in supporting U.S. agriculture. You know, 20% of farm revenue comes from exports. So think about that for a minute. You take away exports, 20% of our farm revenue, one, $1 out of five goes away. Um, U.S. agriculture depends on trade, and, and it's not hard to understand why. There are more mouths outside the United States than there are inside the United States. We sell food. Uh, it's, it's a pretty simple calculus. 
So we're very concerned that within the administration there are folks who really don't understand that and are protectionist and anti-trade. We're concerned that the steel and aluminum tariffs that President Trump announced uh, will cause retaliation against American soybeans. Uh, We've already seen China start to look at retaliation against uh, sorghum. So these are big concerns that can really hurt our pocketbook. Brian, people have come to know the Farmers for Free Trade because of these big buttons that you pass out at different association meetings and events such as Commodity Classic a couple weeks ago. But recently, you all are taking now to social media with a new campaign that you're actually going to unveil today. So tell us about that. Sure. So just today, we're pleased to announce we're launching a new campaign called Voice of the Farmer. Uh, Voice of the Farmer is an effort to allow farmers to speak directly out on trade. And the way we're doing that, it's a really neat thing. Uh, You can go to FarmersForFreeTrade.com. If you're not web savvy, I'm sure your kids are, and and your kids can go to FarmersForFreeTrade.com. On our site, right on the homepage, we have an option where you can record a video. So if your computer has a camera or if you're doing this from your phone, your phone has a camera, that app allows you to record a video in support of trade and it's really simple to do you, you you push record you say your name where you're from what you grow and why trade's important to you we hope to collect hundreds if not thousands of these 30 second video snippets uh, we'll share those on social media we'll send them to our elected officials at the nafta trade round in washington dc we'll have a loop of those just playing on a loop so that the trade negotiators can see farmers from all over america speaking in support of trade uh, so I encourage you to go again, farmersforfreetrade.com. You can also click a button there, give 20 for trade as part of our campaign. Uh, make a small donation. That will allow us to put this up on uh, on ag radio and, and get the message out even broader. Very good. Appreciate that information, Brian. That's Brian Keel. He's the executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. Of course, we're talking about the CME Group Foundation Symposium that, that's happening today at Nebraska Innovation Campus. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. <laughs> Grain markets today were mixed. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. The grain that turned the most today was wheat, wasn't it? Yeah, boy, tail two days, really. I don't, I'm not exactly sure uh, you know, what changed mid-morning. Uh, see the Trump tweet uh, with Secretary of State Tillerson on his way out. Certainly has the market uh, a little... You not say concern, but just the dollar. You know what? What? What is policy now going forward, and kind of what the dollar will look like? That should have been bullish wheat, and I think that eventually will resolve itself to higher price action. Just essentially right back to last week's close or yesterday's close. But you know, it's the wheat market's going to be bored here uh, really through the rest of the month. It's it doesn't have a lot to trade off of other than weather. Uh, you're seeing the cash prices internationally rally, but we're still well above there for U.S. offers. So uh, I think Thursday's Thursday's export numbers will be weak again, and uh, probably more of the same. We'll, we'll rally maybe up to 550 and then fall back to 520 or so. But I wouldn't chase this market on higher prices. That's for sure. At the end of the month, we do get a prospective plantings report, but will that affect wheat uh, trade? No, but what we'll get the, the following Monday, because the report will be on the Thursday because it's a good Friday, the following Monday will be the first conditions numbers from the USDA to, to kick off the season. So we'll get an idea of a little bit more what yield is going to look like, or at least the perspective of what yield will look like. If we don't get, get any rain between now and then, it's hard to think we'll be lower. But I just think, you know, you get these moves up to 560 or so without a whole lot of news driving it, I think it's a profit-taking move. Over the longer run, though, as we get into April and May, if nothing's changed, I think they'll see a six-handle on it. Right. So uh, when you get to corn now, we had a seven-month high today. 
yeah, another push, and the funds are really at work. And you know, with corn here at four ten, you wonder what acreage is going to look like. But we're at uh, you know four ten forty three beans, uh, so the bean market is continuing to push with it. And the battle for acres really, I think, is going to lie between beans and corn in the Midwest. You know, what do these farmers do in Iowa, uh, southern Minnesota, all the way into these parts here in Illinois? Are we going to see any switching away from soybeans for folks who are planting it for profitability reasons? I still wonder if four ten is enough to get it, but I think you'll probably see a little bit less in the surveys going forward. I think I saw FC Stone was talking about uh, 93 million uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I have a hard time believing you're going to see 93 million acres of beans given that prices in corn have rallied, but to think we can get 93 million acres of corn in stretch as well. So at this point, it's about new U.S. production. Really, acreage is not going to probably decipher and make this market break, but I do think you'll see whether premium or premium come out of it once we get through the acreage battle, and then it'll be about new crop planting. So selling here makes sense. But I think you'll have prices better, a better chance to sell down the road. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com.